Shalom and welcome to TanakhStudy.com. This is Gad Dishi from Alon Shavuot. We're going to be finishing up Parashat Vayetzeh. We're in Perak Lamed Aleph, Pasuk Chavav. Uh, before I begin, I should just point out that the end of Parashat Vayetzeh will have different uh, markings in different Humashim. Uh, the ones that we have in the Koran follows the King James Version, where there is a Pasuk Nun Hei. And then only afterwards, Vayakov Alach Ledarko begins Perak Lamed Bet. Other versions of Humashim begin Perek Lamed Bet with Vayashkem Lavan Baboker, which is the Pasuk Nunhe here. So if you see different references to chapter and verse, you'll know that it might be off by one. Uh, just as a general reminder, chapter divisions are in Christian origin, uh, attributed to Stephen Langton in the 1200s, and that means that uh, Rashi worked with the Tanakh without Prakim. It's hard for us to imagine how to be able to look anything up without chapter and verse, but that were the better memories they had back then. And now back to our regular scheduled program. Uh, the section we'll be looking at breaks down as follows. Psukim Chafei Talamed is Lavan's verbal attack against Yaakov. Psukim Lamed Aleph and Lamed Bet is Yaakov's initial response. Psukim Lamed Gimel Talamed Hey is Lavan's failed search of the premises. Uh, Psukim Lamed Vav to Mem Bet is Yaakov's fiery response to Lavan. Psukim Mem Gimel and Mem Dalet is Lavan trying to save face. Psukim Mem Hey through Nun Gimel is the making of a pact between Yaakov and Lavan, and Psukim uh, Nun Daled through Perek uh, Lamed Bet, Pasuk Bet, or Gimel, depending on how you number, is the parting of ways of Yaakov and Lavan. In today's section, we're going to be dealing in section D prime of the Fishbane cycle, of the Jacob cycle, uh, where we will see that he encounters Malachi Elohim, divine beings, and it uses the word of Lashon of Pigi'ah, Ve'yif and it will be located at a border, and we will see the use of a bracha. This parallels the encounter of Yaakov by the ladder, where the text also uses Pigi'ah, Ve'yif Ba'makom, and we also had Malache Elohim, Olim Ve'yoredim. By the ladder, it was the border, the gateway to heaven. Here is the border between Lavan, Aram, and Yaakov, Am Yisrael. And by the ladder, God blesses Yaakov with V'nivrechu Becha, here Levan blesses his daughters and grandchildren. Says, Now we'll begin in Pasuk Chavav. Uh, we're going to read through straight through uh, Pasuk Lamed to get the full impact of these interchanges. It pays to read them in large chunks. ולא הגדת לי, ואשלחך בשמחה ובשירים, בתוף ובחינור, ולא נטשתני לנשק לבניי ולבנותיי, אתה השכלת עשו. יש לי על ידי לעשות עמכם רע. ורוהי אביכם אמש אמר אלי לאמור, הישם אליך מדבר עם יעקב מטוב עד רע. ועתה, הלא חלכת כי נחשוף נחשפת לבית אביך, למה גנבת את אלוהי? And Lavan said to Yaakov, What have you done, deceiving me and driving my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee in stealth and deceive me and not tell me? I would have sent you off with festive songs, with trimble and lyre, and you did not let me kiss my sons and my daughters. Oh, you have played the fool. My hand has the might to do you harm, but the God of your father said to me last night, Watch yourself, lest you speak to Yaakov, either good or evil. And so you had to go because you longed so much for your father's home. But why did you steal my gods? Now, while these charges come as a surprise to Yaakov, Lavan has had seven days to plan out carefully what it is that he would say. And as we see, he packs a powerful punch. What have you done? Me'asita. This echoes back 
to the types of charges leveled against our other patriarchs when they violated other basic social norms, namely when Paro and Abimelech accused Abraham and Yitzchak of uh, saying that their wife was their sister. And there the formulations were, Mazot asitali, mazot asitalanu, asitalanu. But perhaps the even better match is that which is reflected in God's questioning of Cain upon killing his brother Hevel. Me'asita, kol What have you done? This parallel highlights that for Lavan, the prospect of Yaakov stealing his trafim is as severe as Yaakov having killed someone. And this dovetails nicely with the reference of the saving, lehatzil, that was used earlier in regards to the wealth. Lavan accuses Yaakov of stealing his heart. And were it not for the text already telling us this, we may have marginalized Lavan's statements here as hyperbole. The text earlier recording of Yaakov stealing his heart makes us pause and internalize that this claim of Lavan is quite real. Yaakov says, V'tanaheg et benotai, which is literally using the same language that is used for the flocks, V'inhag et kol meknehu, to lead off the daughters, to lead the flocks. Uh, like prisoners of war, says uh, Lavan, literally captives by the sword. So first of all, this introduces an air of physical violence and military threat, and Lavan's men encircling the mountaintop and closing in the ring around Yaakov do not rule out that option that Lavan is ready to do battle if need be. Lavan is claiming that his daughters, whom he raised for all these years and provided for, they would never have left willingly without saying goodbye, and the quick unannounced exit proves to him that Yaakov is trying to make off with his daughters when they do not really want to go with him. Lavan sincerely believes they would opt to stay with him if given the choice, and that is what Lavan is doing here, giving them that choice. So this very serious claim sets off a red alert to Yaakov. The very departure that he hoped would break his ties with Lavan is what sparks the chase after him. If six years earlier Yaakov had successfully quashed the fear of being imputed with a slave status that would jeopardize his keeping the women and children, the unannounced exit has now boomeranged to fuel Lavan's argument. Initially, to recall, the impetus to leave was more the concern regarding the flocks and the claim of the sons of Lavan, but now, Lavan places the daughters center stage. Notice how Lavan refers to them already here as my daughters, not Yaakov's wives. The next claim Lavan levels is that Yaakov need not have gone stealthily, and instead Lavan would have sent them off with great fanfare. While it could be debated whether this seemingly innocuous claim was said tongue-in-cheek or in seriousness by Lavan, the fanfare surely reminds Yaakov of the last party Lavan threw for him and the subsequent conjugal switch. But even beyond that is that all of the references are in the singular. Why did you run away? Why I would have sent you. Lavan may be implying that he would have sent Yaakov, but Yaakov alone, while keeping the rest of the family and the wealth. Lavan says, you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. And again, here we see Lavan is playing for keeps on the entire family. The daughters are his daughters, but the sons are not his sons, they're his grandsons. And here I think it is where we finally uncover the hidden agenda of Lavan, what is the heart of Lavan that has been stolen, what is it that Lavan was always after. I think Lavan's plan was one for perpetual parenthood. He seeks to marry both of his daughters off to the same man to make it easier to marginalize the husband's influence on them. That husband will need to share his love and intention on both of the spouses. Lavan ensures that Yaakov works hard and will hardly be home. Lavan is the one who will provide room and board and is the one who will be seen as continuing to provide. He is the one who continues to father the grandchildren as his own while Yaakov works incessantly at the, in the fields. Yet Lavan wants to remain the main male figure in his daughter's lives and he can't let go. Lavan has succeeded that their married lives continue to look 
as if nothing has changed. They are basically at home with their father. And this idea comes out when Lavan says, Velo netashtani, the word used for, of Natash means abandon. It's a perpaxis for Lavan. This is what he truly fears. He fears being abandoned. And this fear of abandonment can be traced to Lavan's early childhood experiences. If we think back, Lavan's sister, Rivka, was whisked away by Avraham's servant to become Yitzchak's wife, probably, probably when she was about 12 or 14 years of age. As a result, Lavan, her younger brother, grows up without his sister. In response, Lavan develops a need to hold on to his daughters in fear of being abandoned by them after they wed, just as Rivka abandoned him and left her father's home to wed the unnamed Yitzchak. Indeed, there are numerous literary parallels between the episodes surrounding the final showdown here at Gilad and the episode leading to Rivka's departure from her father's home years earlier. These have been pointed out throughout. And these alert the, the reader to Lavan's heightened anxiety as he attempts to ward off a deja vu. He does not want to be alone again. And this is what we mean when we read in the Haggadah of Pesach, Sheparolo gazar ela ala zecharim, velavan bikesh la'akor et hakol. What is it that Lavan did that was really seeking to uproot everything? It was because he wanted everyone and everything to be taken away from Yaakov, and there would be no Am Yisrael. It would all be part of Lavan's family. Yaakov would return home empty-handed with no family. Lavan says, Ata aso, spelled with a vav, which makes it look like Esav, one of these foreshadowings of what's about to come up. And Lavan's final words here in Pasuk Lamed pit himself against Yaakov's nameless father. Lavan tells everybody that you went away now because you miss your father, which is ironic because only the narrator states that Yaakov's mission is to go see his father. And here Lavan is saying that his daughters have their father. If you, Yaakov, want to go home to your father, that's fine, go on ahead, but they don't need to go with you anywhere, I'm right here. Finally, Lavan's last claim, why did you steal my gods? Stealing. Yaakov has now been accused of stealing Lavan's heart, of stealing Lavan, of kidnapping or basically stealing Lavan's daughter, and now of stealing his gods. All of these are a matter of perspective with the exception of the trafim. Those physical possessions will prove Lavan's other claims of thievery, and Yaakov will be relegated as a thief if those trafim are found. In other words, Lavan is confidently packaging his entire claim on finding those trafim. If Yaakov is a thief, then Lavan will be able to take everything back, and Yaakov will leave empty-handed. It's important to note that despite all the forethought and the many claims leveled against Yaakov, Lavan does not breathe a word about the sheep not belonging to Yaakov. There's no explicit claim to take back any of the sheep. Pasuk Lamed Aleph Lamed Bet. Vayan Yaakov vayomel Lavan ki yareti ki amarti pentigzolet benotecha meimi. Ima sheretem sayet elohecha lo yichyeh neged ahenu haker lecha ma'imadi vekachlach velo yada Yaakov ki rachel genavatam. And Yaakov responded and said to Lavan, For I feared, for I thought, that you might steal away your daughters from with me. With whomever you shall find your gods, they shall not live. Before our kinsmen make recognition of what is yours with me, and take it. And Yaakov did not know that Rachel had stolen them. Yaakov addresses the serious charge of stealing the daughters by reversing the charges, and saying that he was afraid that Lavan would be the one who steals away, Gazal, uh, the daughters from him. And they are with him by choice. Imi, imi. The language also used here, haker lecha, echoes the language we have by the usurping of the blessings, velo hikiro, ki hayu yadav, ki de esav achiv, which implies that there might be some payback going on in the background for the usurping of the blessings. Psukim lamed gimel through lamed hey. 
ויבוא לבן באוהל יעקב ובאוהל לאה ובאוהל שתי האמהות ולא מצא ויצא מאוהל לאה ויבוא באוהל רחל ורחל לקחה את הטרפים ותשימם בכר הגמל ותשב עליהם וימשש לבן את כל האוהל ולא מצא ותאמר אל אביה אל יחר בעיני אדוני כי לא אוכל לקום מפניך כי דרך נשים לי ויחפש ולא מצא את הטרפים. לבן קם אינטי יעקב's tent and אינטי לאה's tent and into the tent of the two maids, and he found nothing. And he came out of Leah's tent and went into Rachel's tent. And Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel cushion and sat on them. And Laban rummaged through the whole tent and found nothing. And she said to her father, Let not my lord be incensed that I am unable to rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. And he searched, and he did not find the household gods. So Rachel, quick thinking, is able to uh, hide the trafim in the camel saddle, which she took off the camel and put on the floor. Uh, as we know later, she says, I can't arise, and that's not applicable if she's still sitting on the camel. It says here, Vaymashesh Lavan, which recalls the word Vaymushehu, which is the feeling that Yitzchak did to Yaakov and trying to figure out if it was Esav or Yaakov. And again, the person who is doing the feeling, the Mishush, Uh, fails to properly identify what it is that they're looking for. And here it seems that if only Levan were yes to find the Trafim, Yaakov would really come into his own and face the music. But instead, he now repeats the usurping of the blessings dynamic and again gets away with it and he maintains his, in this case, unjustified moral high ground. Uh, Rachel is very formal and cordial, and this is a very interesting window into the personalities and the dynamics between uh, the girls and Lavan. It's the only recorded dialogue that we have. And she says she can't get up, it's very formal. Please don't get upset with me. And my master, in regards to Derech Nashim, could either mean dimensional psyche up, or it could mean that it, she was pregnant. ויחל ליעקב וירב בלבן, ויען יעקב ביום ללבן, מה פשעי, מה חטאתי, כי דלקת אחריי, כי מיששת את כל כליי, מה מצאת מכל כלי ביתך, שים כה, נגד אחי ואחיך, ויוכיחו בין שנינו, זה עשרים שנה אנוכי עמך, רחליך ועזיך לא שיקלו, ואלה צאנך לא אכלתי, טרפה לא הבאתי אליך, אנוכי אחתנה, מיידי תבקשנה, גנובתי יום וגנובתי לילה. הייתי ביום, אכלה לי חורף וקרח בלילה ותדד שנתי מעיניי. זה לי עשרים שנה בביתך. עבדתיך ארבע עשרה שנה בשתי בנותיך ושש שנים בצונך ותחלף את משכורתי עשרת מונים. לולא אלוהי אבי אלוהי אברהם ופחד יצחק היה לי כי עתה ריקם שלחתני. את עוני ואת יגיע כפיי ראה אלוהים ויוכח אמש. And Yaakov was upset and argued with Levan. And Yaakov spoke out and said to Levan, What is my crime? What is my guilt that you should race after me? Though you rummage through all my things, what have you found of all your household things? Set it here before my kin and yours, and they shall determine between us two. These twenty years I have been with you. Your sheep and your goats did not lose their young. The rams of your flock I have not eaten. What was torn up by beast I brought not to you. I bore the loss. From my hand you could seek it. What was stolen by day and stolen by night. Often by day the parching heat ate me up and frost in the night and sleep was a stranger to my eyes. These 20 years in your household I served you, 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flocks, and you switched my wages tenfold. Were it not that the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and of the fear of Yitzchak was with me, you would have sent me off empty-handed. 
my suffering and the toil of my hands, God has seen, and last night he determined in my favor. Yaakov has a very harsh response. Yaakov is clearly upset. He's arguing with Lavan. He asks him to put whatever household items he found in front of all the people so that they could judge between them. But he does not allow Lavan to widen the scope of search of what Lavan might think is his beyond physical possessions. There's no daughters or children up for discussion. Again, only because the trafim were not found and Yaakov is not a thief can Yaakov maintain the moral high ground. In Pasuk Mem Aleph, Yaakov says he worked 14 years for both daughters. Again, no explicit reference to the conjugal switch. And of all the places and times, that what claim would have better served Yaakov at this very moment than to be able to turn around and tell Lavan, you think I cheat and steal? Why isn't the pot calling the kettle black? You, Lavan, you're the cheat. You cheated me out of marrying Rachel and made me work another seven whole years. But he doesn't because the decision to remain silent about the switch is one of the most deep-seated decisions Yaakov made and will drive the entirety of Yaakov's emotional life and will play a crucial role in every pasuk to the end of Sefer Bereshit. Maybe one day we'll be able to flush all that out. Pasuk Mem Bet also makes reference to the Yaseret Monim, the tenfold, again, not ten times, but tenfold, which is left vaguely to refer to the daughters or to the sheep. Yaakov says that if it were not for God's intervention, he would have left empty-handed, and the language used is Rekam Shilachtani. Later in Sefer Dvarim, we get the mitzvah of giving people who are released severance pay. And there it says, Which is basically a direct quote from what we're reading right here. Pasuk Mem Gimel. Vaya'an lavan vayomed el Yaakov habanot benotai vehabanim banai vehatson tsoni vechol asher ata ro'el lihu vlevnotai ma'ayase la'ele hayom olivnehen asher yaladu ve'ata lecha nechreta berit ani ve'ata vehaya le'ed and Lavan answered and said to Yaakov, The daughters are my daughters, and the sons are my sons, and the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. Yet for my daughters, what can I do now or for their sons whom they bore? And so come, let us make a pact, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So this pasuk exposes Lavan for who he really is. He's claiming that everything belongs to him. The claim of Yaakov being a slave and that all the children and the daughters really are maintained by Lavan comes to the fore here. He refuses to acquiesce to Yaakov's position, even though he knows that because he didn't find the Trafim, he is in a weaker position. He lays out exactly what Yaakov feared throughout. And this was Lavan's planned speech if he found the Trafim. Except now he airs it as if because he's someone who's defeated, it doesn't have the same practical effect of being able to walk away with everything. All you see is mine. And while Lavan never made any mention of the sheep in his long initial attack, now we see Lavan's headspace. Yeah, Lavan says, Vehatson tsoni. All the flocks, they're my flocks. All the time he was just waiting. Once he would have found the trafim, he would have lowered the boom on the entire package. But it all backfired. Lavan keeps trying to save face by ending his position, by proposing a treaty between the parties as a witness between us, as if they're both on equal footing, and presumably to say that we don't have claims against each other. Psukim Memhei through Nundalit. I'll read and translate the large section and then we shall comment. Vayikach Yaakov avin, vayrimeha matseva, vayomir Yaakov leahav lektu avanim, vayikhu avanim vayasu gal, vayokhlu sham ala gal, vayikrolo lavan yegar sahaduta, vayakov karalo gal ed, 
ויאמר לבן הגל הזה עד ביני וביניך היום, על כן קרא שמו גל עד. והמצפה אשר אמר ייצף אדוני ביני וביניך כי נסתתר איש מרעהו. אם תענה את בנותי, ואם תיקח נשים על בנותי, אין איש עמנו. ראה, אלוהים עד ביני וביניך. ויאמר לבן ליעקב, הנה הגל הזה, והנה המצבה שיריתי ביני וביניך, עד הגל הזה, ועדה המצבה, אם אני לא אעבור אליך את הגל הזה, ואם אתה לא תעבור אליי את הגל הזה, ואת המצבה הזאת, לרעה. אלוהי אברהם, ואלוהי נחור ישפטו בינינו, אלוהי אביהם, וישבע יעקב, בפחד אביו יצחק. ויזבח יעקב זבח בהר, ויקרא לאחיו לאכול לחם, ויאכלו לחם, וילינו בהר. And Yaakov took a stone and set it up as a matzeva, as a pillar. And Yaakov said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they fetched stones and made a mound. And they ate there on the mound. And Lavan called it Yegar Sahaduta, Aramaic. But Yaakov called it Galed. And Lavan said, this mound is witness between you and me this day. Therefore its name was called Galed. And the mitzpah, for he said, may the Lord look out between you and me when we are out of each other's sight. Should you abuse my daughters, and should you take wives besides my daughters, though no one else is present, see, God is witness between you and me. And Lavan said to Yaakov, Look, this mound, and look, the pillar that I cast up between you and me, witness be the mound, and witness the pillar, that I will not cross over to you past this mound, and you will not cross over to me past this mound, and past this pillar, for harm. May the God of Abraham, and the God of Nahor, the God of their fathers, judge between us. And Yaakov swore by the fear of his father Yitzchak. And Yaakov offered sacrifice on the heights and called to his kinsmen to eat bread, and they ate bread and passed the night on the heights. So while they're setting up these piles of stone, we also see Yaakov taking again a matzeva, a throwback to when he woke up from the dream of the ladder, and as Deborah Geller pointed out, a sign of Yaakov's vertical axis to firm up his declaration that if it weren't for God, he would have nothing. And that this represents God as the only one God, for it's only one rock, as opposed to the pile of stones that Lavan is putting together as a pile representing his numerous gods. So as part of the covenant, Jacob takes a rock and erects a matzeva monument. Afterwards, he instructs his brothers, or Lavans, to gather stones that they then place in a pile and they eat there. In suit with Yaakov and Lavan's disagreement over ownership, even the pile of rocks, which is clearly Yaakov's initiative, but apparently put together by Lavan's brothers, is subject to dispute. Whose is it? Does it belong to Yaakov or to Lavan? Later, Lavan states that he erected the pile of stones and the monument, even though Yaakov was the one who erected the matzeva alone. This ambiguous state of ownership, in fact, befits the nature of a border and that both sides claim ownership. Similarly, there's a competition surrounding the naming of the site as an indication of sovereignty. Each person gives the pile of stones a name in order to show their sovereignty. Yaakov gives his name based on Lavan's utterance, while Lavan names it its equivalent in Aramaic. As it will eventually serve as a border between the two, it's only fitting that each party should name their side of the border in their national vernacular. Lavan again is trying to save face. He's trying to make part of the pact for his son-in-law of 20 years not to abuse his daughters, as if until now they were in danger only because Lavan, their protector, was there, they were safe. And that Yaakov not marry any other women. This reveals that Lavan was unaware of his daughters giving over the maids, his former maids, as full wives to Yaakov. All of this not telling plays into the larger theme of Yaakov not telling critical pieces of information to family members, as Klitzner points out in his book of Wrestling Jacob. And all of this further supports the idea that the conjugal switch was never discussed. Pasuk Nun Gimel, we have the idea of calling out 
to fathers. Levan tries to call out in the name of the forefathers where the two clans began. He's from the side of Nahor, Yaakov, from Avraham, who Avraham and Nahor were brothers. And Levan calls to the gods of Avraham, the gods of Nahor, in the plural, which would seem to tolerate many gods, with Yaakov's god being just one more in the pantheon. But Yaakov focuses on what divides them as opposed to what bonds them. The border is a better border and clearer when there is an us-them dynamic, each staying away from the other, as opposed to a joint ancestry, which also blurs the theological alignments. Yaakov is being very clear. He swears in the fear of Yitzchak's God, in the, of the fear of the God of Yitzchak. By further identifying Lavan and his clan as different from Yaakov and his clan, there is a better border and a better separation between the parties and the nations. The last three psukim, numbered as they may be, read as follows. And Lavan rose early in the morning and kissed his sons and his daughters and blessed them. And Lavan went off and returned to his place. And Yaakov had gone on his way, and messengers of God accosted him. And Yaakov said when he saw them, This is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Machanaim, double camp. So these last three psukim, numbered as they may be, we see again the language of both Malachi Elohim and the Lashon of Pigiah, as we pointed out earlier, which appeared in the latter dream. Lavan gets up early to kiss the kids as he professed he wanted to in his initial argument, still again trying to save face despite having lost the argument with Yaakov. He blesses them, which is also reminiscent of how Lavan and Betuel blessed Rivka years earlier when she was leaving home to go to Eretz Kenan. And Lavan returns home alone. His brothers are not mentioned with him and he's not accompanied by anyone. He will now face the fear that he had of being alone. While Yaakov enjoys a doubling of his camp, double camp, Machanaim, his and that of the God, of God, of the Malachi Elohim. And this represents part of the Uparatsta, the spreading out. It also harmonizes and unites the vertical and horizontal axes that Debregela pointed out. Now that he has left the materialistic grip of Haran, he now has great wealth horizontally and is joined by the celestial beings that used to be his vertical axis, but they are now with him on the horizontal plane, which means that he's now making his spiritual journey and spiritual part of his everyday life, part of his everyday routine. It's not only relegated to the dream world of theoretical idealism, and that becomes our mission as well.